We've been, as I mentioned, going through Psalm 23, and the, the, the theme that kind of weaves throughout it as I've been studying and preparing these messages is uh, the, the Lord just gave me this idea of how a shepherd tends his sheep, you know, that Jesus tends us. And I think it's very clear to us that while Jesus' name doesn't show up here, he does say, the Lord is my shepherd, and we know that the Lord is, is typically identified as the Son of God, even in the Old Testament. And then we come to the New Testament, we saw in some of our previous messages uh, in past several weeks, how that Jesus identifies himself as, I, I'm the good shepherd, you know, who gives my life for the sheep, and I'm even the door to the sheepfold. Uh, lay myself across my body across the entryway when the sheep are in for the night, you know, taking care of them in that way. And, you know, to, to really enjoy the Christian life, you really have to appreciate how much Jesus absolutely loves you. If you're not aware, if you're not picking up on that, if you're not really believing that, you just cannot be a joyful Christian. You just can't. You know, if you're struggling with, you know, expectations that you've had and disappointments of things that you thought were going to happen, and, and even though you might not verbally be saying it, you realize, you know, well, God, why are you letting this happen? Why did you let that happen? And why didn't you do this? You know, when you come to that place where you trust in the sovereignty of God, that he, His way really is best, and we just need to trust Him when we don't understand and seek for wisdom to understand where it's available to us, then we will just, as his children, love him and find him so precious that, uh, that he takes such good care of us. He really, really does. And, you know, i got to believe that sheep really don't always appreciate the shepherd and all that he does for them either. You uh, look at how that works in the animal world. Sheep, sheep are not the only ones. I don't have any personal experience being a shepherd, okay? But I, uh, I am a co-owner of a very spoiled dog, okay? And there are some similarities between all animals when it comes to certain things. And I think it's safe to say when it comes to what we're talking about today, uh, the water source issue, uh, all, all creatures, really, uh, we have a little dog, and we call him Fitz, F-I-T-Z. Uh, he's uh, half, half poodle, and uh, he's half King Charles Spaniel. Cute, cute little thing. Um, just uh, the biggest danger is that you might be licked to death or uh, when, when you're greeted by him. But he's just a little dynamo and uh, very affectionate, loves people. But he can be a little annoying at times, too to Becky and I, and one of the things that we have set in, right in the corner of our family room is his dog dishes, okay, where his food goes and where his water goes, and, and they're a shiny chrome-colored bowl and sit on a little stand, and uh, we've, we've joked that maybe he's a little nearsighted or something at times because uh, if, if he's not a really demanding dog except when it comes to that. And so Becky's very, very faithful, you know. Probably one of the first things she does in the morning is go out and, you know, make sure that the, the water dish is, is full and the, the food bowl is full. But if he eats down his food a little bit, he's still got food in it. If he can see a little shiny spot in the bottom of the bowl, he is very discontent. 
Or if he can't tell because of the reflection of the water, if the, I mean, if the water dish is full, he's probably got five days worth of water for him, okay? He's not running out of water, okay? But if it's a half inch low, okay, he'll sit there and paw at the floor in front of it until someone, you know, gets annoyed with his annoyance and pour water in there, you know? And sometimes I hear my wife saying to him, he says, you have food, you have water, you know, just as if he would understand that. But once he sees that, he may not even go and drink anything. He just goes up and sniffs at and says, okay, I'm good. Then he can go lay down. He can be still. And, and that is very common, not just in the world of animals. Uh, I don't think there's anything more basic when it comes to a need than the issue of water, right? Uh, I looked up on a website called healthline.com, and it states that a human, uh, we, people, we can, we can survive up to two months without food intake if there's adequate water intake. I don't want to try that, by the way, folks, okay? I get a little grumpy if I miss a meal or, <laughs> or something like that, you know. But it's amazing, you know, uh, and how long, you know, we can, and I know there's a lot about what we have stored in our bodies and how much activity we have, you know, obviously, you know, an athletic runner isn't going to live two months if he continues his lifestyle uh, for two months without eating anything, you know, but just laying something like in a hospital bed or something, I guess is what they're talking about there. So two months without food. Uh, which would explain how Jesus was able to fast for 40 days, right? But what about water? We can only last, and it changes based on persons, you know, because we have different water weight inside of us, but on average, about 14 days without consuming some sort of water in our life. So what does that mean? Our, our concern with water is going to be even greater than it comes to food, and, and, and that's the way it is. For me, anyway, if I'm, you know, if we're out and something like that, you know, if, if we get delayed and don't get to eat for a time, I might be hungry, you know, but if, if, I'm, if I'm beginning to get a little uh, under as far as the water intake, you know, I can begin to feel a little dehydrated, and, you know, even just on something like shopping, you know, uh, be, you might read in the newspaper, you know, Pastor Wood died shopping or something like that, you know. High peril sport, you know, for, for some of us out there, you know. But uh, hydration, doctors will tell you, right, it's, a, it's an important thing. And you can't just, you know, drink a gallon of water at one spot. You know, you got to be constantly taking it in. Well, we're talking about sheep, and since sheep are very dependent creatures, they're very insecure, kind of like my little puppy, right? He's very insecure about water being in short supply. I mean, they will know. Shepherds will tell you. They will know if they sense that the, the presence and the supply of water uh, may not be there. But if they do have assurance of a water source, then their confidence increases. That's what's being said here at the end of verse 2 of Psalm 23. Uh, he, he leadeth me beside the still waters. There's this uh, loving work of, of the Lord in our life to treat us as sheep, to make sure that we have confidence 
of our spiritual needs being met. Now, say, what is water to us, spiritually speaking? Water is often used to represent one of the persons of the Trinity in our Bible. What person in the Trinity is water used to represent, folks? The Holy Spirit. That's right. The Holy Spirit. Similarly, when we're enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then what happens? Well, our confidence, our spiritual confidence goes up. Our, our hope increases. If, if I meet a Christian who is despondent, discouraged, and in despair, you know, one of the things that I'm going to begin to ask questions about is try to ascertain, you know, what is your relationship currently with regard to the Holy Spirit in your life? You know, are you yielded to the Holy Spirit? Are you walking in the Spirit of God? Because quite frankly, uh, as we're going to see, uh, our emotions uh, should not be swayed primarily by what's going on around us, but they should be bolstered by the, the confidence of what we have in God through the Holy Spirit. Philip Keller, shepherd and author, observes that there's three sources of water for sheep. There's three different ways that sheep can take water in. And many of you are familiar with his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And one of those ways, surprisingly enough, is, is dew on the grass. He goes on to talk about how in his book that sometimes if a, a, a shepherd's you know, wise enough and depending on the, the climate, uh, a, a sheep can sheep can a flock can exist for for weeks simply on the water intake they get from the dew off of the the grass that they're grazing on. If the shepherd takes them out in the early part of the day when the dew is heavy and they have a chance to do that, they can they can get that water intake and of course enjoy that. Of course, there's some water inside the grass we understand as well you know i've heard people different joke you know oh my doctor's trying to get me to drink more water for my health right and you're like so i started drinking more coffee because there's plenty of water in coffee well you know uh it's true but it kind of counters it right and uh and, and yet there there we do get a certain amount of water out of our food right as well sheep do the same thing the second source he cites is deep wells and we'll talk a little bit about that as well and then the third one which seems to be the the one that i think is probably most in mind as he's writing beside the still waters is the source of springs and natural streams that would exist even in a very arid climate like where David was shepherding. You know, as looking at each of these three and thinking about, do these three water sources, do they uh, in some way, are they an analogy for how the Lord uh, gives to us uh, what we need spiritually? And I think there is. For instance, when he talks about the dew on the grass, as sheep of Christ, the Good Shepherd, we can also experience spiritual revitalization during times of grazing in the Word of God, right? That's, that's what we're eating, eating the Word, chewing and enjoying that. We, 
Kind of think of your devotions in your quiet time, opening up your Bibles. That you're, that's you as the sheep grazing. And as you do that, hopefully you're not just getting details and facts about Scripture, but you really sense that the, the Spirit of God is meeting with you during those times. And as you digest, right, as you digest what you read, you should also be experiencing the practical application of truth to your soul. And as that is happening, in other words, well, I understand what I'm reading, but what's the significance of it? And as you pray, and assuming that you're truly a born-again Christian, and therefore have the Holy Spirit who is also the interpreter for us, guiding us into truth, living inside of you, He will guide you into that truth. He'll make it relevant And you should be experiencing that. If you're not experiencing that, then you need to really have a red flag go up and say, what's missing? It may be a relationship with Jesus Christ. It may be that you're not truly His child. You may know about Jesus. You may love Jesus in your own way. But if you turned from being a sinner and trusted in what He has done on the cross completely in your behalf and not in your own merits, and as you do that, He enters into you. You receive Him, and you receive His Spirit. And so, yes, there's a sense in which we gain spiritual uh, hydration, if we could put it that way, uh, through our, our times in the Word of God. Also, as sheep of Christ, the Good Shepherd, He may lead us into caves of ominous time. It talks about these deep wells. These deep wells were often sometimes in cavernous areas, They might feel very ominous as the sheep would go into these areas. You, as a sheep, you might, uh, a sheep would feel vulnerable, maybe, in the darkness uh, and uneasy about all this, but trusting the Good Shepherd all along the way. And it's really, we as Christians will find ourselves in those ominous times of life as well. And it, it can be times where, uh, of difficulty, physically our, our bodies are failing us, and you're thinking, Lord, what are you leading me into? This is scary. This is very unsettling. And yet, how many, many times I've heard Christians as they go into those times of disabilities and saying, yet, in the, in the very end of that during those times walking through that the Lord showed me some wonderful truths about him and met with me in ways that I had never experienced before in all my life and so yes there's these deep well experiences I think that we enjoy and then thirdly as the sheep of Christ the good shepherd we can enjoy the the effervescent spring if you would of the God's internal Holy Spirit. And this is where I really want to spend most of my time today because we cannot overemphasize the importance of God's presence within us. And and really, this is a large reason why so many professing Christians don't live in victory, don't live in joy, because they're not welcoming and enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. Who's there? He's there if you're truly a Christian. He's he's indwelling you. But Jesus speaks extensively to his followers while he was ministering uh, physically on earth. 
walking about before he left, saying, you know, as I'm leaving, as I'm exiting, going back to heaven, I am at the same time sending back the Holy Spirit. Now, was the Holy Spirit not present in the world in the Old Testament? Not at all. He was. We can see uh, many times the Spirit of God coming upon people. But that's how it was usually referred to, coming upon them. But now in the church age, now that since Christ has died on the cross for men's sins and gone back to heaven and sent a special ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit into the lives of every individual believer all the time, we have something very unique and something special. And folks, man, it is on us. It is on us if we are not enjoying that and appreciating that. In John chapter 7, and you might want to uh, flip over to that chapter in your Bible. We're going to look at a couple verses here in just a minute. Let me just set up the context of what's happening here. Because Jesus, uh, this is a key passage, I think, in appreciating the work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is preparing them for. What's going on here? Well, they're celebrating what we call the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a Jewish holiday. Sometimes it was also called the Feast of Booths, B-O-O-T-H-S. And this feast was an annual feast, and it was to remind them about their, their transient time, the Israelites, the Hebrews, when they left Egypt and they were wandering around in the Sinai wilderness, right? They were living in tents. And so even though now they live in houses and they're established, once a year they all move into their tent and so that they don't ever forget this transient mindset that's important. And it's kind of like what we talk about today. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through, right? Something that's important for us. So they're at the temple. The altar, of course, is uh, one of the... Uh, things that's able to be seen in the courtyard there in front of the main building of the temple where inside only the priests were able to go. But that altar was a busy place of activity. That's where the sacrifices, you brought a sin offering, you know, a bullock or a lamb, and it would be burned up. So it was a place of fire. It was a place of consumption. But annually at the Feast of Tabernacles, the priest would pour water next to the altar, and this would be a, uh, one of the final rituals of the feast. And this event was to look forward to the coming of the Messiah. That's part of what they were supposed to be thinking about. You know, Messiah is coming. And the altar was supposed to always remind them of submission and sacrifice. That's what you should think of when you think of an altar. I'm submitting to God, and sacrifice needs to be, to be made. What a great setting for Jesus to deliver his message that he's going to give to us in the, in the verses we're going to look at. Why? Because Jesus is about to offer himself. Offer himself how? As a sin offering. A sin offering for who? For the sins of the world, right? And so... He's going to accomplish what the blood of bulls and goats could never accomplish. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is going to be able to actually take away the sin of the world. And so this idea of pouring 
the water out is also going to be talked about by Peter in Acts chapter 2. Jesus is back in heaven, and the church is about to start up. You've got the day of Pentecost, and one of the things Peter says in Acts 2.17 is that Jesus was the prophecy of the Old Testament when it said, He will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. God is going to do that. God is going to give His Spirit. What Spirit? The Holy Spirit. And that's the backdrop, okay? I say all that so you get the context of what's going on. So now let's, let's look at John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. It says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, okay? Talking about the Feast of Tabernacles and the day that they're going to pour that water out. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man, what? Thirst. Let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me... As the scripture has said, and this is the very perplexing part, right? Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then the Holy Spirit through John gives us this parenthetical phrase in verse 39 to help us to make sure we get the point of what Jesus is saying. But this spake he of the what? Spirit, big S. We're talking about who? The Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given in that special sense, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. He hadn't gone up yet, okay? So we, we understand what Jesus said. Now, now, what does this all mean? Jesus was addressing a spiritual thirst. Do we get that? This was back in John 4, woman at the well, you know? And, you know, he says to her, among other things, you know, woman, if you, if you would know who I am that's asking you to give me water, you would ask me, and I would give you water that if you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. And she's thinking physical water. You know, how, how can you do that? You know, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? And there's all this dialogue back and forth. It wasn't clicking with her yet. Eventually it does. But we have to make sure we understand we're talking about spiritual analogous water here. And on, by spiritual water, I'm not talking about holy water, you know, where you just say a blessing and then you use physical water and somehow that's like supernatural water. No. The properties of how water works, Jesus is using that so that we'll understand. So it's a spiritual thirst that he's talking about. Do you realize that all men, women, are born in this life designed and built and created with a craving for what is beyond this physical world? That's the way God has designed every single human being without exception. Solomon tells us this in Ecclesiastes 3.11, where it teaches that God has put the world, or as some explain it by the world, it means eternity. God has put eternity into man's heart. Say, what does that mean? God's put eternity into man's heart. And he goes on to explain, by the way, at the same time God put eternity into man's heart, he also did not give them the ability to correctly figure things out on their own when it comes about that eternity. So there's this sense of wonder, this sense of drawing that is embedded in us as we are made after the image of God. You think about your, your most profane person out there who would 
stand up and say they hate God or don't believe in a God. God has still put inside of them this same eternity, this same wonder. Everybody has it. And what do we see? We see humanity dealing with that void in their life very differently, right? What is sad is we see humanity, apart from God, contriving all sorts of methods and approaches to try to take care of this in their life. How do I satisfy this sense of eternity, that there's something beyond there? And what do we see? We see cults, right? We see all sorts of strange practices under the name and the guise of religion. You're thinking, wow, that's pretty whacked out stuff. You know, remember years ago reading about David Koresh and the Branch Davidians, you know, or every once in a while you read about someone that is out there saying, you know, oh, you know, this is when the world is going to end and, and getting people to do all sorts of crazy stuff with liquidating their assets and stuff. And you think, oh, you know, that's a bunch of cults. But there's so many people that get caught up into various and sundry of these kinds of things, right? There's all sorts of false religions, you know, where they use the Bible, they'll hold it up, but they begin to just pick and choose and twist and utilize it rather than let it guide and direct them as they should. We see other things such as humanism, you know, man saying, you know what, Set aside the idea of God. Set aside the idea of a Bible. You know, man is an end of himself. And then, so they're trying to figure this whole void out. What do they come up with? Things like karma, reincarnation, the force being with you, whatever it is. Right? I mean, where does all this stuff come from? This is where it comes from, folks. And so man is thirsty for God, and that is by God's design. How sad it is that so few, when you think about all of humanity that's ever been born into this world, that really so few come to the God who is the key and the only answer to satisfying that void that's in their life. And in all that, Jesus is crying out because he knows this and he's trying to address this. And what does he say? Come unto what? Me. And do what? Drink. I'm what you're thirsty for. Right? I'm what you need. I am what is missing in your life. You know, physical drinking, we understand that you drink water, but sometimes, you know, we need other, other things like electrolytes and stuff like that. You know, and when you get those things, you're like, <sighs> Right? You know that you, you've arrived there. Those who come to Jesus not only have their thirst satisfied at that moment, and he does that, but they are also given an internal, and if I could put it this way, spring or artesian well known as the Holy Spirit. Now, follow all the way with me here. It's not just a feel-good moment that Jesus is talking about here. And we know that, why? Because of verse 39. He explains it to us. So to make sure we don't miss it. It's not that you just come to church and the worship music and the hymns and stuff just kind of, oh, you know, I felt really good and I can't wait to get back to church next Sunday morning so I can have that again. 
Okay? No, that's not what he's talking about here. He says, I'm talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you should have that with you all the time. What an odd metaphor that water should be in the belly. The water source should be in the belly and flow out, right? We don't, we don't operate that way when we think about it. We, we get a bottle of water and pour it into our bellies, right? That's how it works. You know, unless you see some strange fountain that someone's designed out there where you know, the water's coming out, you know, you think, what's he talking about here? The water will be in him, in his belly, a spring of life. What, what is that? It normally happens in reverse. And that is the wonderful and amazing arrangement that God has for his children. Because think about it. If you never had, let's talk about physical water. If you, you could go anywhere you wanted and you knew you had an ongoing wa dynamic water source that was always with you so that you would never be in a place where you didn't have fresh water to drink. You know, maybe some little device or something like that. Someone creates or whatever like that. And it can just, you know, pull the molecules out of the air and just you know, pour this, you know, give you this water or something like that. That'd be fabulous. Think in that way, but think spiritually. God's given you not just a device, but the person of Himself, the Holy Spirit, to take care of these spiritual needs in your life. The presence of the Holy Spirit satisfies that eternal craving that we're talking about. He is unobservable to others except for the representation of a divinely drenched disciple of Jesus, right? He said it's in the belly. I can't look at you and say, you know, I see the Holy Spirit inside of you because that, that little red light, you know, by your left ear is lit up, which means you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you know. It doesn't work that way. Now, I might observe the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Why? Based on your behavior, based upon your response. Saying, well, you know, I can tell you're full of the Holy Spirit, you know, in that way. But seeing the Spirit of God, it's something very personal, isn't it? Meeting our needs first and foremost is what's being talked about here. Such a follower of the Good Shepherd lives in a state of spiritual confidence. In other words, I don't know what this day holds. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what kind of people I'm going to meet. I don't know what kind of deprivation I'm going to go through. I don't know what, if my, my health isn't going to be broken by the end of this week somehow. I don't know any of that stuff. But I know this, the Spirit of God is within me. And that will never be taken away from me. And He's going to help me through whatever it is I go through. So as believers, we should identify with the expressed cravings of David, such as in Psalm 42 and verse 2, when he says, My soul thirsteth for God. That's what I'm really craving. I'm thirsting for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Do you feel this way as, as children of Jesus, as children of God? We should have this yearning to just want to be in the presence of God, to enjoy fellowship with Him. Yet, truth is, God is ours. David says, when can I come and appear before God? Remember, that's Old Testament. New Testament, where is the Holy Spirit for the believer? He's in us. How often? All the time. 
And so if we're not enjoying the, the sense of the presence of God, whose fault is it, folks? It's our own. He's not left us or forsaken us. So to, to really know God is to love Him. To love Him is to serve Him. Sometimes as believers, we may restrict the water source of the Holy Spirit within us. And when we do that, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 calls that quenching the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit. To quench is to eliminate something. Now, be careful. That doesn't mean as a believer that we can do something to expel the presence of the Holy Spirit out of our life. Can't do that. Because God would be breaking His promise if somehow we could drive Him out of us. Say so then, then what exactly is being eliminated? And the answer is, what we're eliminating is the beneficial working of God's Spirit, even though He's there. How sad that is. I mean, we have all the blessings of God available to us, and yet sometimes because of our choices, things that we choose to do, or sometimes things we choose not to do that we should be doing, we're actually quenching the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we ignore God's Spirit, we also, as Ephesians uh, 4.30 says, we grieve the Spirit. He is a person, right? He's God, but there's a sense in which we grieve Him. And so, when we quench Him, He cannot quench us, folks. He cannot satisfy us as we should. The potential is there, but perhaps because of our failures, because of our choices, we're prohibiting that. You know, there's so much, uh, such a thing as being in need of water and yet not feeling the sensation of thirst. I, I've been that way, but I know some people that they have to have either someone nearby them or they have to set alarms on their phone or whatever because they get caught up in things like, you know, I just don't get thirsty. You know, their taste buds just don't alert them. You know, but ordinarily what happens? We get parched and we're like, you know, I need to go get something to drink, right? Or something goes on in our body and we just feel, oh, I feel kind of woozy. You know, I need, I need to get something to drink. But, but some people, it's not necessarily as a trigger like that. And so just as we need to drink water and liquids with intentionality, guess what? There needs to be intentionality in how we approach the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life too, right? If we just go about saying, you know what, when, you know, when the Spirit of God you know, really knocks me over the head, you know, then I'll, I'll yield myself to him. But again, are we putting ourselves into the word of God so that we're allowing ourselves to hear the voice of God, hear the direction, get, detect the direction of God? And as we do that, we realize, oh, you know what? I'm more parched spiritually than I thought I was. I'm not doing nearly as well as I thought I was. So, there is, a, there is a disciplined fashion to it. In Isaiah chapter 12 and verses 2 and 3, it says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. You hear the confidence in what the prophet is saying here? I will trust and not be afraid. But then he goes on to say, For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, there's that joy, shall ye draw what? Waters out of the well of salvation you know because he has saved us he's redeemed us to himself there is a joy that should be ours now today perhaps you find yourself listless 
Maybe you find yourself insecure. And I don't know what the issue might be. Uh, you might be looking at your surroundings and circumstances and longing for something to be different than the way it is. Maybe it's the world. And you know what? Can we all agree on this? In many ways, the world is a big mess. The world is a mess. Jesus warned us that this would happen, okay? He even said in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew, you know, things are going to wax worse and worse. You know, these, it's kind of like a woman that's about to give birth, and she has those early on uh, premature birth pangs. You know, those are reminders. It's coming. It's not time to deliver yet, but it's coming. And I think a lot of what we're experiencing right now and seeing going on in our world is a reminder to us that Jesus' second coming is very, very imminent for us. But we still live in this world, don't we? And we live at a time when, like more than any other time, I think, men call good evil and evil good. I mean, people are look at Bible believers and those that hold up the truths and principles and precepts of Scripture and following God as our creator and our sovereign. They look at us as being hateful. We're trying to give them the most loving message, the most helpful message that there is. And they, they're looking at us, and even if they're not using the word, they think we're evil when we're doing the the most good. And on the other hand, people are doing evil things like telling, hey, just follow your heart, do whatever pleases. If it's not harming someone else, you know, no one's master. You know, that's an evil message. And they're saying, this is good, you know. We have matured. We have evolved as a society. It's so upside down, folks, isn't it? Many of our leaders seem to lack good sense. I mean, you look at it and you're like, how in the world can they not just, aside from believing the Bible, how can they not just read their history books? How can they believe that the way they're suggesting that we legislate our countries, and I'm not just talking about America, believe that this is somehow good for the people? Where is the common sense in all of this? There's a lack of ethics in our world today. There's a lack of true caring spirit for the people that some are sworn to protect. Like, do you really care about these people? Physical well-being seems to be increasingly harder to come by. I mean, I don't think I'm just imagining it, but, you know, the overall well-being of humanity, especially in America, you know, physically speaking, seems to, with all of our technology and all our advancements, seems to be on a spiral downward. And it's so much harder. You used to be able to just eat right, sleep, and, you know, you're pretty good, you know. But now, I mean, we have to take supplements and all these other things, and, and still, you know, not sleeping well, and, you know, no energy and all these things. Meaningful relationships with a sense of loyalty to one another is not as common as it once was. You know, neighborhoods don't exist like they once did with a spirit of camaraderie and enjoyment with one another. Yeah, the world's a mess, folks, right? The world's a mess. And yet, in the midst of all this, the Good Shepherd is tending flocks of followers, like here at Anchor Baptist Church. And you and I have the distinct 
privilege of being part of that flock. And He has bestowed upon every single one of us the very, very person of the Holy Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, what do we do? We walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5.1 says, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We'll not be carnal. We won't give in to those wrong inclinations. But it begins with obeying and being sensitive to that Spirit, that well of water inside of us. See, God wants us to sense a confidence in our Christian life. Not a cockiness in ourselves, but a sense of, I, I can get up tomorrow morning and I can rejoice in Jesus and I can have a, a, a wonderful day in Jesus Christ because of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And, and, you know, and if I listen to the news, I listen to it through the ear of the scriptural filter that God has given to me, hopefully. And I can say, that's sad. You know, Lord, help me to use all of this, you know, problem and the decadence of society. And, I'm, and I am conversing with someone else to say, you know, and you'll meet people, right? I'm sure you've all met people. It's like, wow, our world's a mess, isn't it? And, you know, what's going on? And, oh, my goodness, with COVID and elections and social media and blah, 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 you know. And Bill Gates is trying to take over the world and all these sorts of things. And you hear all kinds of stuff. And you're like, you know what? Maybe all that's true. But let me tell you something else. How much of that can you control? How much, how much impact can you make on that? What can you change? Oh, oh, you're just making me worse. No, but here's the key. You can change what's going on right here in you. God has an answer for you. That's what you need to focus on. And, and we can give them hope, folks. Why? Because we share with them Jesus. And then we disciple them into the enjoyable walk in the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 13.6 says so that we may boldly say, there's confidence, right? We may boldly say what? The Lord is my helper. Not, not the GOP, not my, you know, flush IRA, not my great um, uh, health insurance plan. No. The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. What a great verse from God's word for us to graze upon. Revelation, as we get to the last book of our Bibles, and God is telling us, what's it, what's it going to be as the, the exiting is taking place from this world into eternity and to the new earth and the new heavens? Revelation 21.6, you hear Jesus speaking to John, as we already read at the beginning of our service today. Jesus said unto John, He said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water, uh, water of life freely. There you have it, folks. If you don't have the fountain of the Holy Spirit today, it's not because you don't have the currency to purchase it, because it's how much? It's free. Jesus offers it as a gift. He's paid the expense, the sacrifice of his own body on the cross. There's no need for you to live in despair. There is no need for you to be in despondency. There is no need for you to be under the circumstances. We're not here to change society. Right? That's not why we're here. We're here to be ambassadors to share what God has blessed us with so that others can take Him in.
in themselves. Almost at the very end of the Bible itself, last chapter, just a couple verses away from the very last verse, Revelation twenty-two seventeen, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Who's the Bride in the New Testament, folks? The church. That's us, right? And, and it's the Spirit. So this is the representation of God inside of us all along our lives here in this world. And here's the church, and it's reaching out to, to people who have not yet been brought up to heaven because the church has been raptured at this point. So the church is up in heaven. We're enjoying it. And, and what, is, what is the invitation at the end of time, looking back to this present point in time? It's an invitation, if you would, kind of a time jump, if we can think of it that way. If we could, if we could go into eternity and our future selves could talk back to our present selves or to our society, what is it that you would say? What would you be most concerned about as a person that was saved and made part of the bride of Christ, the church, now in heaven, what would you want your message to be back to this old world to be? And this is what it is. Come. Come, right? And what is the come? It's the same voice of Jesus Christ. Come to me is what's implied there. And let him that hear us say, come. And let him that is a thirst, there's the word again, come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. You know, you may know and enjoy the Spirit-filled Christian life. And friend, I hope you do. But if you don't, it is designed to be a perpetual joy for you. In the midst of the hardships. It doesn't mean that there won't be cloudy days. It doesn't mean that there won't be miserable days. What it means is that we are not swept along with those things. Because our confidence is in the internal Spirit of God that He has blessed each and every one of us with as believers. These are the still waters. The still waters that have been given into your very soul are the person, is the person of the Holy Spirit. I trust that today, if you know Christ as your Savior, you are enjoying the presence of the Spirit of God. You're walking in that presence. You're sensing His communication through the Word of God. And it is definitely changing the way you handle life. But if today I seem to be talking in riddles to you and things seem a little murky to you, then friend, it's because you very likely need the Son of God to save you from your sins and to forgive you and to make you His child. To stop trusting in your own works. Not saying, you know, I hope I'm good enough to get to heaven. No, I believe that Jesus' goodness gets me into heaven. And call upon Him to save you today. What a confidence God wants us all to enjoy as believers. Amen? Father in heaven, we thank You. Not for the cockiness, not for a self-assurance, but for a biblical assurance that You want us to have. We thank You for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We thank You for the slaking, the assuaging of our spiritual cravings that can be found only as we enjoy the walk that we have in the Spirit of God. Lord, help us to be very alert 
to those times that we are prone to quench your spirit in our lives by making very simple choices sometimes, by sometimes not picking something that's just really rank and wicked, but just picking something different than what you are impressing upon us to do. Lord, may we never sacrifice the excellent for the mediocre, for the wholesome. Lord, may we only want your path, your perfect path in our life, that the Spirit of God wants to lead us into day by day. And Lord, I pray that you'd work in our hearts even now. In Jesus' name, amen.